I mean, I hope you noticed how I jumped the gun there with that final refrain. I mean, it's obviously because I'm very spiritual <laughs> and I have a desire to glorify the Lord more than you guys. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to bring forth your word to your people. Um, by God's grace, I want to continue in Romans in chapter 15. Uh, we were there last week, and I want us to see through the chapter, the entire the chapter, uh, not in, in its entirety this morning. But I'd love, love us to begin where, we, begin where we had left off, through to verse 12. So Romans chapter 15. I'm going to read from verse 1 through to verse 12. And then I'm going to pray over God's word. Romans 15 from verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in one accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And for particular emphasis this morning from verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice O Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord all you Gentiles and, pray, and all let the, all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. The word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, I call upon you this morning. May you give me utterance that I might bring forth your word and nothing else. May you remove any man-centered reasoning, any faulty teaching, any heresy from my lips that I may proclaim Christ and him crucified. Father, I call upon your spirit to come down and dwell in your hearts of your people this very morning that we might all be attentive to your word 
to understand it, to apply it, and to speak it out forth to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Again, without going into the greater detail that the, 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 the apostle Paul goes into with Romans, to summarize the ultimate purpose for all creatures is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Our ultimate purpose as created beings, Paul says from Romans 1 up until this point, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are to follow the example of Christ himself. We are to live to the Lord and die to the Lord. We are to offer our body as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we are to do it to the glory of God and for his praise. As people, we recognize that we are all different. Some are weak and others are strong. Some have little faith and some have great faith. We come from different cultural backgrounds. Some are Jews, some are Gentiles. But we all try to please God by living according to his word. Paul told us in Romans chapter 15 earlier in verse 5 and 6 that we are to worship God in one mind, with one accord and with one mouth. The Holy Spirit who indwells all believers of Jesus Christ enables us all to worship him acceptably in unity. Now reading on 4 from verse 7 through until 13, 13, which we will rest on better next week, we are coming to the conclusion of Paul's doctrinal and ethical teaching. That is teaching on, on, on the doctrines of grace and the doctrines of God and how we must live and practice those teachings. Now Paul's exhortation is that we receive one another. That we receive one another. Something that he began earlier in chapter 14, verse 1. And the fullness of joy and peace and overflowing hope of the Lord Jesus Christ because of the sure salvation that has taken place in his death, burial, and resurrection, we as brothers and sisters in Christ ought to receive one another. And how we do that? By looking towards the Lord Jesus Christ. After that exhortation for us to be, to, for the strong, to not please ourselves, but to bear with the failings, the weaknesses of the weak, and rather than to look into our good, but to look to the, the good of others, and not just simply to look and think, oh, it's nice that they're living their lives, but that we look to build them up, to edify them. This is what we were looking at last week. We are to look at all of that through the example of Jesus Christ himself. So here in verse 7, I want to rest upon a couple of things as we move through to verse 12. But firstly, in verse 7, I want us to look at Christ 
as our example. Jesus Christ as our example. Verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Jesus received us all. The weak, the strong, the vegetarians, the meat eaters, the Jewish, the Gentiles, the Father loved all of us and chose us to salvation and glory in eternity in his Son. So the Father planned our salvation. The Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, agreed to save all of us whom God had given to the Son that he may save them and all of us from our sins. And he did this by accomplishing our redemption. By living that life that we ought to have lived and dying that death that we deserve to die and by rising again on the third day, Jesus agreed to save us all. And in that same eternal counsel, the Holy Spirit applies that redemption to all the Lord has called and given to the Son, regardless of outward appearance. Christ received us without any reservation in his heart. We are Christ's and Christ is in us. We can never be any nearer to Christ than we were when we first believed. That's a wonderful intimacy. In one sense, Christ has received us all, even from eternity past. Before we even came to Christ, he had already received us. Christ received us for the glory of God the Father. And this text tells us he did all things to please his Father. The unbeliever, the backslidden Christian, we do everything to please ourselves before we came to know the Lord. Rather, Christ did everything to please the Father. He did the will of God with great delight. Jesus receives and saves us. And he saves, receives and saves only sinners. We can come to Jesus and tell him how great we are, all the things that we've done in our lives, and he will not save us. We must come, as the hymn says, just as I am, without one plea. Why? Because Jesus did not come to save the righteous. He came to seek and save the lost. Jesus received sinners without discrimination. And in the same way, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We are to receive one another. 
Before, Paul told the strong to receive the weak. Now it's the responsibility of all weak, strong to accept one another. We are all members of God's family. We are all God's children. Each must believe. And in our belief, receive one another. And we have to do so even as Christ has received us without any reservation. And that's hard. Because we have a lot to be reserved about with one another. In our hearts, in our homes, receiving one another as Christ has received us is hard. But the text doesn't tell us that it's going to be easy. It simply tells us that this is what we must do. We are to lay down ourselves for our fellow believers. Jesus says, as I have loved you, you must love one another. John 13, verse 34. Christ showed us his love for us by dying for us. We must forgive one another as God has forgiven, forgiven us. This is not optional. This is the new command of Jesus Christ. We are to receive one another to the glory of God. The triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, received us into his body. And in so God's fellowship was created. All this was done by the Holy Spirit. And if we do not receive God's children, then we ourselves make it clear that we are not God's children. That's, that's just the plain simple of it. There's, there's no two ways about it. If we don't forgive God's people, we are not God's people. It is by our love for one another that the world will know that we are Christians. Not by how often we go to church. Not by how many uh, points we've checked in our uh, Bibles apps. But by our love for one another. Therefore it is so essential That even within our differences, weak, strong, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, masters, slaves, that we continue to walk in Christ. Christ found us powerless. He found us sinners. He found us as enemies. He found us dead in our sins. He found us under God's wrath. But he has justified us all. And he is the example. Paul says there is no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. There is no distinction between us. But Christ is all and is in all. Colossians 3.11 We are no longer as we once were. 
In Christ's example of receiving one another, he has created us as new creatures. We cannot point to our old self and say, I can no longer love this person or that person because of how I used to think. We have been transformed into newness of life. And we share in the promises of Jesus. Christ is our example. Christ is not only our example, but Christ is God's servant. Christ is God's servant. I mean, how did Jesus receive us? How did Christ receive us? Verse 8 tells us, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Verse 8 explains verse 7. Christ received us by his diaconal service. In that becoming a servant, Christ's service of obedience completed God's salvation plan. In verse 8, Paul reveals a solemn truth. Christ has become a deacon, a lowly servant of circumcision. The Old Testament promised the Messiah, a spirit-anointed believer, a suffering servant. So Isaiah says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And because God has, the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, Christos, the Spirit of the Lord is upon the Anointed One. This one was the sinless Son of God. He is the one in John chapter 8 says, Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? This is whom the scriptures speak of. Pilate declared three times, I find no basis for any charge against him. Our brother Adrian, who preached through Hebrews, told us that we have such a high priest who truly meets our needs. Who one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart for sinners, exalted above the heavens. In the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that is the Jewish law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the full rights as sons. Because of the sufferings of the eternal son as a servant of God, we have become sons of God. With the same rights and privileges that the only begotten son has. Of, of Christ, Paul writes, who being in the nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something of his own advantage. Rather, he made himself low. He made himself nothing. Christ became a servant. Jesus himself 
he asked, for who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. God came down from heaven to serve us. And it says this, this, this radical thing, this, this fascinating thing that Christ didn't just become a servant, but he became a servant to the circumcised. He became a servant of the circumcision. And if we recall, God gave um, to Abraham the sign of circumcision to seal the covenant that he had with him. And he said, this is my covenant with you and your descendants. After you, the covenant you are to keep Every male among you shall be circumcised. God didn't make a separate covenant with Gentiles. But Paul says that they were foreigners to the covenant of promise. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says that the Gentiles were without hope. They were without God in the world. Salvation is of the Jews. Jesus was a Jewish man. The apostles were Jewish men. And they were the ones who proclaimed it. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he makes that very clear. He told the Canaanite women, I was not sent to the lost sheep of Israel. But the truth is, the Gentiles were included in the Abrahamic covenant that the Lord already told them. Remember, as the Lord said, uh, this is my covenant I'm making with you. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of earth will be blessed through you. Genesis 12. Later, the Lord gave more insight to Abraham. He said, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So Paul is explaining that the scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. This text is telling us that Jesus became a servant of the circumcision, thus completing that justification by faith. This is what Paul says earlier. He says uh, in uh, Romans chapter 4, he says, the promise comes by faith so that it may, it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only those who are of the law, that is, Jewish people, but also to those who, who have by faith of Abraham become sons. He is the father of us all, that is Abraham. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. So Jesus became a servant of the Jews, the text says, on behalf of God's truth. Jesus came to prove God's truthfulness. Jesus came to prove the veracity of God's promises, the reliability, the dependability of God. Those covenant promises that were made before Anything that we see today were made. Jesus came to prove those promises. Christ is the proof of God. 
price is the proof that God can be trusted. Both his promises and his threatenings. Both the promises and the threatenings of God, Christ came to prove the truthfulness of those claims. Have you put your trust in the Lord? Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? If not, the word tells you that you're a rebel, that you are self-righteous. You are wickedly saying that God himself cannot be trusted. We know God can be trusted. So what about us? Can we be trusted? Are we people who are trustworthy? Are we people who say something and do another? Can we be trusted in our homes? Can we be trusted in our marriages? Can we be trusted in our workplaces? Can we be trusted when we commit ourselves to God's church to do what is right, we're going to follow through in that? When we say Jesus is Lord and are baptized, are we trusted in that? And are we becoming more and more trustworthy people? I mean, think about it. Man lies. We lie. But God doesn't. God is not a man that he should lie. He's not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak, then not act? The answer being no. Does he promise and not fulfill? The answer is no. Earlier in, in, this, in this letter, Paul writes, let God be true and every man a liar. Elsewhere, Paul again says, God cannot lie. God cannot sin, nor is he the author of sin. God is truth. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. The devil is the liar. And he is the father of all lies. God can be trusted. Abraham trusted God so much that he was ready to, to burn his own son and offer him as a sacrifice. Why? I mean, the promise was made to Abraham and to his descendants. And his only son, he was ready to sacrifice. Why? Because Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. Abraham trusted in the Lord. Abraham believed the veracity of God's promise. That he knew that the Messiah would come for his son Isaac. Have you believed the gospel? which Christ, the servant, came to accomplish and proclaim. 
as we read, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Christ is God's servant in accomplishing our redemption. This is the truth of God's word. We talked about uh, uh, human leaders. Psalm 146 says not to trust in princes, but to put our trust in the Lord. And we, you know, in in life, we we can't live one moment without accepting human testimony. You know, if you're someone who's studying or anything, we have to go back to things that man has already said, which is fine. You know, you're doing a medical study or a research paper. You rest on the words of, of, of men in the past, men and women of the past. And John goes on to say, he says that we accept human history. But in 1 John he says, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his son. Whoever believes in the son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe in God has made him out to be a liar. Whether we accept it or not, every unbeliever is making God out to be a liar. He's saying God the Father is a liar. Christ is a liar. The Holy Spirit cannot be trusted. At the same time, with the same mouth, they are saying that they are righteous and do not need a savior. They have made God out to be a liar because they have not accepted or believed his testimony about his son. So Paul declares that Christ came as God's servant to confirm To confirm that what God has said is true. That what God has said can be trusted. That is the purpose of the incarnation. After 2,000 years, God through his son, the suffering servant, fulfilled all his promises to save his people. Jews and Gentiles. I mean, I mentioned earlier that, you know, uh, uh, on, on Wednesday as we gathered, and we were looking through Galatians 1, verses 1 to 10, and I made a mention of the fact that, you know, my oldest is in a school amongst people of different faiths and different religions. And he, you know, after being around us, kind of assumes that he's a Christian. And we, we're very clear about that, you're not. But... he'll go, you know what, yeah, this person is not a Christian, so I can't really talk to them. He's just a child. And he's working through things. But we're not to despise anyone. We're not to despise Jewish people, Gentile people, people of any faith. Because as far as the word is concerned, all have been included in the covenant, but we just don't know who they are. We have no idea. That's up to God. We are to proclaim his word. 
We are to proclaim that the coming of Jesus Christ has confirmed the truth of God's promises. Believe in this. The salvation of the Gentiles was anticipated in the Old Testament. It's not some new thing like, oh, the God of the Old Testament is the Jewish God and he loves only people of, of that place. And this God of the, the New Testament, he's the loving guy. You know, He's the one we can trust. No. The salvation of, 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 of Gentiles, of us, is not an afterthought. So as a servant of the Jews to prove the reliability of God by fulfilling the promises to the Father, the Son was sent by God so that we Gentiles could also be here and say, praise be the Lord. Christ is our example. Christ is our servant. Christ is our hope. Christ is our example, our servant. Christ is our hope. God's anointed son, Jesus Christ, lived, died, and rose again. That all those who believe in him, Jews, Gentiles, yes, all the families of the earth may be saved from God's wrath. So that all believers would be of one mind, one accord, one mouth in our worship of God. In verses 9 through to 12, Paul now goes on to, to quote uh, four Old Testament texts to prove the point that God's salvation reaches not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. Those four quotations come from all parts of the Old Testament. The law, the prophets, the writings. <clears throat> this is to tell us that scripture is our final authority. When the scripture speaks, God himself is speaking. And when the scripture speaks, all arguments must cease. So like I said you know, last week, when we read, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that should be the end of the argument. I mean... We've all had to sit with our pastor and, and talk about different things. And we always find a reason why my opinion is more, you know, oh, you know, I've got, the way I see things is the only way. And, and even after saying it, we'll find a way to argue against it. But when God speaks, that ought to be the end of it. May God speak to us now 
First, Paul quotes from Psalm 18, verse 49. Therefore, I will praise you among the... From verse 9 there in Romans chapter 15, verse 9. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. This speaks of the Messiah singing amongst conquered Gentiles. The Messiah conquers us first so that we may confess him as Lord. He is singing amongst the Gentiles that they may fear, that they may hear, and that they may join him. And again, it said, he quotes there from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43. This commands the Gentiles to worship God with, his, with the people of Israel. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. <clears throat> I mean, this is what's happening in this church in Rome. Jews and Gentiles of equal footing. And he, the Messiah, is singing amongst them. He, Paul, is singing amongst them. The third quotation that we have there is from Psalm 117, verse 1. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. God commands Gentiles themselves, these are people, these are non-Jews, to sing to the Lord, not to their respective gods, but to the one true living triune God. The gods of the Gentiles are demons. There's no mixing of the words here. The Gentiles must abandon all their idols and worship the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we evangelize. That's why we witness. That's why we share the word of God. We're not coming to say my opinion is more valid than yours. No, we're saying this is the truth of God's word. And he has called us all to do this. And finally, Paul quotes Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10, which specifies there the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. The Gentiles will hope in the Jewish Messiah. The root of Jesse, the son of David, that's Jesus Christ himself. He will spring up. He's the one who will arise to rule over the nations. And the Gentiles will have hope in him. There is no other savior for us. There is nobody else. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by God whereby we must be saved. Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? Revelation 22.16 speaks of Jesus as the root and offspring of David, the bright morning star. These are messianic titles. These are promised titles.
our Jewish friends in our neighborhoods are waiting for another Messiah. The word of God tells us there's nobody else coming. He has come. He has come. Place your trust in him. There is no other king. There is no other God but Jesus Christ our Lord. All peoples of earth are to abandon their idolatrous, idolatrous religions and bow their knees to Jesus Christ. Christ is our hope. And finally, Christ is our mercy seat. <clears throat> Christ is our mercy seat. The Gentiles worship, worship God as a result of the atoning work of the Messiah. And verse 9 says, and in order that Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Every sinner, every one of us, is saved by mercy alone. Jews are saved by God's mercy as are Gentiles. There is no difference. There is no distinction. There is no special salvation for Jewish people and a special salvation for Gentile people. All are spiritually dead. Everyone has become an enemy of God in thought, in action, and in deed. Everyone is under God's wrath. Everyone is to be destroyed. Yet God shows his mercy to all who repent and believe. All who repent and believe in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> God has pity upon us. He shows us unmerited favor. Everything I've done does not deserve this. Rather, I deserve to be drowning and wallowing in my sin and my filth. But God shows his mercy in that he sends forth his son. We are all deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. We... We were not even seeking this. It's not like we came and saying, you know what, my life was, you know, I've, I've made so many mistakes, I feel like I should go and find salvation now. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that we were enemies of God. We may have uh, been uh, uh, um, God, uh, citizens of the, in this nation, you know, follow the law, done everything that we could do. Maybe we weren't that bad. Maybe we might have one or two parking tickets. We weren't that bad. God could find something in us to say, yeah, you know, Daniel, Daniel, there's something in you, yeah. No. There's nothing. We were dead. We were dead in our transgressions. You know, I think you know, I saw a clip in a, 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 
what do they call them, a, a realtors in America, those who show houses, and someone had one of those, um, you know, those cameras that you can put in the sky, what are they called again? A drone, yeah, the drone. It's going through the house, it's really nice. And you think, wow, this is a nice house. And it goes onto like the back porch. And as it goes out, the house is right next to a cemetery. Basically, this is the porch. You're looking onto sto um, tombstones. And it goes back in. And you're like, someone wants to live there. I think of that cemetery image when I think of us being dead in our transgressions. Dead people don't make choices. Dead people don't call out. Dead people don't seek anything. We're dead. In the midst of that death, God had mercy. And Paul says in Romans 12 verse 1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of that mercy, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies. One mercy after another comes to us daily, daily, all the days of our life. Faith in Jesus Christ is the only requirement for both Jew and for Gentiles. The publican believed and prayed, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And he went home justified. He went home singing and dancing and praising God for mercy. Rahab, the prostitute, believed and received mercy. Ruth, the Moabitess, believed and received mercy. The Canaanite woman, whose daughter was demon-possessed, believed and received mercy. The dying thief on the cross believed in Christ and received mercy and went to paradise. That saving faith is granted to us by God as a gift. It's by grace that we've been saved, not, and through faith. And it's not by your own selves. There is no discrimination at the foot of the cross. Are you a Gentile, you know, scripts, are you a Gentile dog? Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you a Jewish sinner? Come unto me, all ye that labor, and I will give you rest. Therefore, I ask again, have you gone to the Father for mercy? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ for hope? Is he the servant that you need? Is he the one that has accomplished your redemption? Or are you waiting to do it yourself? Are you saying just as I am without one plea? If you haven't, I invite you to come to him now. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today so that you too may join with God's people in heaven and on earth in worshipping God.
saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Let's pray. Lord, Father, <clears throat> thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you for your great mercy bestowed on me, bestowed on your people. Thank you, God, that whilst we were sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, God, that whilst being enemies of you, you sent forth your Son and loved us. Father, I pray that as Christ is our example, we would be those who are marked by his work. We would be those who exemplify his compassion and kindness and mercy to all but that we would also be those who trust in the truthfulness of your promises. That we would never cut corners in the gospel. That we would never add to the gospel or take away from it. That we would rest in the finished work of our example, our servant, our hope, our mercy seat. Jesus Christ. Father, help us. May we receive this in our heart. May it be a soothing balm to that which brings us low continually. That, that, that bondage, that baggage, that desire to look around us for something else to save us. May we find that in Jesus Christ. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Oh,